When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the most wonderful time of a year that can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win. We all deserve a little extra money in our pocket. And we all deserve to have a little fun. The only place you're guaranteed to get all three is my bookie. They're the only sports book that doesn't care whether you were naughty or nice this year. They've got gifts for everyone. Bet NFL, NBA, all your favorite college sports and more. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuffer, a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's a great place to start, but we all know Christmas is about what's under the tree. And at MyBookie, that means huge deposit bonuses, epic giveaways, and free contests. It's simple. Sign up, enter promo code TOC for Talk of Champions, TOC, and get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to MyBookie to make the most of the holidays this year and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. This winner bet the best. Bet with my bookie. This is the best of talk of champions brought to you by Modern Woodman. The Modern Woodman phone line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to former Ole Miss defensive back, returner, one-time wide receiver, Marche Green. Marche, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing great, man. Glad to be on the show. Well, thanks for coming on. Tell the people what you're doing now. Uh, basically, man, I live in Atlanta right now. Um, currently, man, a general manager of a fitness center. Um, I have a four-year-old son. So, basically, man, he take up all of my time. It's the best part of my life. I mean, like, you know, just seeing them grow, run around every day. So, yeah, man, that's what I'm doing right now, man. I'm raising my son. Okay, do you have him already doing some football drills? Every day, man. Yeah. Every day, man, he's doing – every day he's doing football drills, basketball drills, soccer, and he's just – and he's already committed to Ole Miss. See, that's great. Have you got him <laughs> trash-talking already? Uh, not quite, but he's getting there, man. Like, he's getting there, man. He be playing man a lot, so, you know, he's getting there. See, with you, it started with Madden because I was around you one time or when Mike Wallace was playing, <laughs> and you would – Talk trash for Mike Wallace, for example. I've told this story in this podcast before. And I played Mike Wallace. You won't remember this because you've been through so many things in your life at this point. But back in college, I played Mike. I talked crap in practice to Mike about my ability to play Madden. You basically set up the game. Me and Mike played in the IPF, and I scored the first touchdown. Then he beat me by 60, and I'd never live that down (laughs) with Mike Wallace. He got Steve Smith and the Carolina Panthers and just beat the crap out of me. Hey, man. Listen, man, you played that game like every day, competed every day, and if you lose or lost, you heard it all week until you won. So, yeah, man, that's what we did, man. We yeah. competed in everything that we did. Who was the second best trash talker on the team behind you? 
The second best trash talker, I have to say Mike Wallace. If you had to go one-on-one with him, who got the best of the other one just in practice every day? Because y'all competed against each other in everything. In everything, yes. I would say it's 50-50, man. I would say it's 50-50. Some days, he got me. Some days, I got the best of him. Now, in Madden, <laughs> it's probably 60-40. 60-40. Uh, Definitely 60-40. Those teams are really interesting. When you came to Ole Miss, you were a wide receiver. Uh, what went into your move to cornerback? Well, actually, I wasn't expected to get moved to wide receiver. One day so happened, we was finishing weights, and the wide receivers was catching balls outside. And so, you know, I just came out there to catch balls with them. And so Coach Lubick, the wide receiver coach during the time, saw me catch balls. And so once we finished catching balls, Coach Ogeron called me into the office. Coach Lubick was there also. And he just, you know, drilled me on about how I could be a great wide receiver. I could start right away at wide receiver if I changed my position. And so me being a freshman and being competitive, I was like, okay, let's do it. So that's how I became a wide receiver. Now transition to DB, when Coach O got fired, Coach Nutt came in. And so that spring, I was out with staph infection. So I came back and the wide receivers had a great, uh, you know, spring. And so coach, um, Nutt asked me if I would change my position. He'll start me right away. He thinks the defensive backs needed and like, you know, he think the secondary needed or whatever. So yeah, cool. So, you know, I changed. And so that's how I changed my position to DB. What is your story with Houston Nutt? Cause every player I talk to, they all have a different opinion of Houston Nutt. What are your feelings toward Houston Nutt when you look back at it? Because whatever you say about him, y'all did go to back-to-back Cotton Bowls. Yeah, man. Like, like, look, all the other stuff I have don't really have an opinion on it. The only thing that I can go by is my time with him. All I know is that we won two Cotton Bowls back-to-back that kind of get overlooked for some reason. Like, you know, people don't talk about it or it's not mentioned as much or celebrated as much. I do believe my junior year was the best team of all time that ever played at Ole Miss. Um, Coach Nutt, even though Coach Ogeron brought us there, Coach Nutt was able to put it all together and have us win two combos back-to-back. So I'm very fond of Coach Nutt. I like him as a coach. I like him as a motivator. And I like him as a person. One of those Cotton Bowls was one of your most memorable games. So we got to go there. We got to talk about the win over Texas Tech. The week leading up to it, there was a lot of buildup. Texas Tech believing they had been slighted. They deserved better than the Cotton Bowl. Ole Miss, the way y'all closed, fired up to be in the Cotton Bowl. What was that week buildup like for you? Because you took it kind of personal, some of the crap they were throwing at y'all. Definitely, man. Well, basically, you know, they had the number one wide receiver in the country during the time. And they felt like they wasn't supposed to be playing in this game. They felt like they deserved better. But what people don't know, we also felt like we were supposed to be playing in a bigger game and deserve to play a better opponent. But leading up to the game, I mean, like, you know, it was chatter about Crabs was going to have his big game, you know, his secondary holding up. Even primetime came to practice and talked to the DBs. He tried to motivate us, and it worked. And so, you know, we came out, man, like, you know, we came out ready, man. We came out and took care of business, man. We won the game. 
When did you know that you had him? I knew we had him when I ran the punt return back. Even though I stepped out of bounds and it didn't <laughs> count as a touchdown, I could feel the momentum like completely shift, and I knew he wasn't going to give it back. So when I ran the punt return back, yes. What was Michael Crabtree like? Was he a trash talker like you? Did you kind of run your mouth at him the whole game? Yes. He was <laughs> talking a lot of smack, but mostly laughing at me. <laughs> I mean, you know, he lined up, and the first place just kind of glanced at me and just laughed at me. And so, you know, me being competitive, I last back. It was like, come on, buddy, let's do it. And so, yeah, we had a good game. Did that always raise your game up if somebody – kind of challenged you or felt you felt like you were slighted? Because it felt like you played that way your entire career. Facts, facts. Um, the reason why I was uh, so fiery, talked to so much smack, is because I needed to bring out the best in my opponent so my opponent could bring out the best in me. I fed off that. I fed off people doubting me. I fed off, you know, beating the odds. I fed off all that. So in order for me to play at my highest level, I know that I have to talk smack and have that person bring out his best to bring out my best. Who was the most challenging wide receiver you lined up against? Well, actually, Mike Wallace was more challenging than Crabtree. Crabtree was kind of a more slant, dead guy. Mike could run the gold, the post, the curl, the slant, the outing up. Now, the most challenging wide receiver I faced in college was Percy Harvard. He was strong, he was quick, he was fast, and highly competitive. So, yeah. That's the best one I faced in college. Both the Cotton Bowl and the Florida game, y'all fell behind. How did y'all figure out how to win? Well, my freshman and sophomore year, we played a lot of freshmen. We went through the fire. My freshman year, we lost the overtime game against LSU. We played Bama down to the wire. We played a lot of games down to the wire, but we just couldn't get over the hump my freshman and sophomore year. So when our junior year came around, and senior year, we was ready. We knew how to handle all the adversity. Nothing shook us. But we knew we had the talent. That's, that's, that's the thing. We always knew that we had the talent. Always. So, yeah, man, that's how we basically just approached it. Yep. Okay, so Florida game. I've had this argument before. Shea believes his touchdown catch was the biggest play. Forty believes him blocking the extra point was the biggest play. Temp believes him stopping Tebow and fourth down was the biggest play. Settle the debate, which was the biggest play? Come on, man. You know my defensive guy. It was Temp stopping Tim Tebow on fourth and one. Come on. Look, look man, he's 6'3", 247 pounds, the best player in college during the time, in his house, and it's fourth and, what, inches? One? Yeah. And we mm-hmm. stop him? Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Yeah, come on, it's four for one. What went into that play? Well, <laughs> Coach Nix was like, listen, Marce, you got this guy. Everybody else just blitz, <laughs> basically. So basically, man, it was an all-out blitz, and I was man to man. Simple. So y'all pretty much knew that they were not going to take the ball out of Tebow's hands, that they were probably going to just run him. Come on, man, it's four for one, four for <laughs> inches. <laughs> come on, man. He's the goal line back. This guy got like 27 rushing touchdowns, you know? So everybody in the stadium knew Tim Tebow was getting the ball. When the clock ticks to zero, what was the response like on the sideline? We could all see it, but what was it like to be in it? It was amazing, but it was expected. We knew one of these years 
we was going to beat one of these big-time teams, whether it was in Oxford or at their place, and everything was going to change. The whole culture of Ole Miss was going to change. When we beat Florida, everything changed. People, I mean, kids started to want to come to Ole Miss. Our games was more televised. Everything changed, man. So that was an amazing feeling. And, man, like I said, I'm glad to say I was a part of it. That overtime loss to LSU. Brent Schaefer should have been the quarterback. All it did for me was settle what I've been saying. Brent Schaefer should have been y'all's quarterback every single game. Man, yeah, man. Um, I think that was my freshman year down there playing them in Baton Rouge. Actually, man, I had like 143 yards mm-hmm. in the return game. But that game, we supposed to have been won, but we didn't win. But that was all part of the maturation, though. So, yeah, I mean, we grew from that, though. For you, the art of returning a punt or returning a kick, is that a natural thing or is that something you can learn? Because for you, it was always seemingly a natural thing. Yeah, it's your mindset. You could have the best hands. If you don't have the mindset of, I'm going to catch this ball come hell or high water, and you're not going to be able to return punts. I don't care what type of athlete you are. If you don't have the mindset, it would not work. But from high school, man, you know, I always love returning punts. Man, I used to watch prime time. I used to watch Peter Warwick. So those are guys that I kind of looked up to in the punt return game. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, too, because returning punts can be a lonely affair. You're out there with everybody's eyes on you. If you don't believe that you're going to take every single one of them back, yeah, you can get in your, your head pretty quickly, I assume. It's important for that punt returner to be 100% confident Every single time he's back there, not 98%, not 97%, not 99.9%. He has to be confident 100% that he's going to field this ball and the offense is going to get a chance to score the ball. Your most memorable return is what? I would say the return against Mississippi State in the 20-17 to win because that gave y'all a lead that y'all could maintain. What was yours? My most memorable return would be the Mississippi State punt return. Mm-hmm. That was my first point return. Actually gave us the lead and won the egg bowl. So, you know, that's big. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. When was the year that y'all absolutely destroyed Mississippi State and everybody in the stadium started to feel bad for the Mississippi State quarterback? Was that 2008? Yes, 2008. Yeah. 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 You were on that defense. The defensive line, Perret, Kentrell, Greg, <clears throat> lived in the backfield. I mean, how bad was it on the field? Because it looked really bad in the stands, in the press box. The year of the land sharks. That's all I'm going to say, man. The year of the land sharks. From the front to the linebackers to the secondary, everybody had the same goal, dominate on defense and hold everybody accountable. Um, Greg, unblockable. Perret, unblockable. Poe, coming off the bench, unblockable. Um, Ted, unblockable. Marcus Tillman kept his motor high. But that was the best defense that I've been a part of in the pros or in college, my junior year. Okay, your Ed Orgeron story is what? When people ask you, Ed O won a national championship this year, it's kind of remarkable if you're an Ole Miss person or been around this program. When people ask you, what was your Ed Orgeron story, what is your story? We'll get right back to former Ole Miss defensive back Marche Green on the Modern Woodman phone line in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Modern Woodman. 
Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. My story about Coach O is one of the, well, the greatest recruiter of all time. If you check the guy, resume, you'll see why. He's the greatest recruiter of all time. Fiery, when he was the coach at Ole Miss, he was a great recruiter, but there were some things he had to learn and like kind of take a step back from, and he did that when he went to LSU, as you can see. Kind of took a step back, got great coaches around him, and now, look, <laughs> it's going to be hard for a coach to outwork him. It's going to be hard for a coach to have his players more readier than his players. And as long as he got the right coaches around him, I see him winning probably for the next four or five years, man. What was he like when he came to recruit you? Well, actually, it's crazy because Coach Cutcliffe was recruiting me originally. Mm. He was recruiting me since my sophomore year to come play running back at Ole Miss. And then coming out of high school, I didn't qualify. That's right. Yeah. And so, right, right. And then Coach Cutcliffe resigned, I guess. And then Coach Ogeron became the head coach. So happened, Coach Frank Wilson was on his staff as the running back coach. And my high school team played against Coach Frank Wilson high school team my sophomore year in the playoffs. That's how Coach Frank Wilson knew who I was. Coach Ogeron saw all of my tapes, saw all of my film. He envisioned me coming there to be like a Reggie Bush type running back. So Coach Ogeron was recruiting me to play running back too. Yeah. So when he walks in, he's like, oh, hey, hey, Marcy. What was, what was he like in the room? Well, <laughs> he called me, man, actually. But he didn't come see me. He actually called me. And, like, you know, he called me, like, every day, though. But he called me, like, early in the morning, and he was very fired up. Like, he, like, he just took some, I mean, like, some pre-workout or something. But he was fired up the whole time. And his plan was, you're going to play as a freshman, so be ready. And so he was always fired up, and he was always ready to go, man. And so that's some that I took heed to, and that's some that always got me ready to play, always got me ready to practice. Yeah, but when he held his first team meeting and he rips his shirt off (laughs) – and you're looking around like you're like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> Look, man, spending two years with Coach O, ripping his shirt off, <laughs> is one of the smaller things. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, man, that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> uh, my favorite Ed O story that I was ever told was uh, I had a coach that I was good buddies with, and he walked in early in the morning, it was like five thirty six in the morning. And O's already in his office, and he's studying some tape of a team coming up, and he's got coffee grains that he's dipping in his mouth, 
and it's like running down his mouth and onto his shirt, but he's just yelling, soft, soft, at the team in front of him that he's watching film of with coffee grains <laughs> spit rolling down his throat. Hey, man, look, that's him, man. He's up at it early in the morning, got his coffee, and he's ready to go. He's 100 miles an hour, no matter what the time of the day is. It could be 6 a.m., it could be 10 p.m. He's ready to go, and he's ready to talk football. Okay, so uh, one of the last things before I let you go, obviously got a cup of coffee in the NFL. What was that experience like? And you and I were kind of talking about this before we sat down to record about the experience there and, and the things that um, you went through after your career came to a close. And that's something we've talked about on this podcast before, be it with Kentrell or whoever's been on, that once the career's over, it's tough for former players. Yeah, man. Um, my experience wasn't too good, man. Um, going in as an undrafted guy, believing that I was and knowing that I should have got drafted, but going in as an undrafted guy, man, kind of put me behind the eight ball. And so when you go in as an undrafted guy and that label sticks on you, you don't get the chances that other guys get. Guys who are even drafted in the seventh round get way more opportunities than you because teams actually took time out and went and spent time on those guys. So with me, all, all the work that I put in in college – like didn't matter. I mean, you know, those guys who came from smaller schools than me, who got more opportunities than me, who who didn't have a better track record than me. But me landing as an undrafted free agent put me in that position. So my time there was like, you know, the politics. It was a lot of stuff that I could control. Even though I earned the respect of my teammates, I practiced hard. I was with one organization for three years, but never really got a shot. And that could be bad timing. That could be not the right system. Or that could have been me not knowing how to handle the situation I was in and handle everything that was happening to me. And that's a valuable lesson that I learned. Even though something is happening to you, it's how you respond to it. It's always how you respond to it. And sooner or later, if you stay persistent, stay consistent, and don't crack, it's going to break. So that's the lesson that I had to learn. And um, also be grateful how I got there. Even though I didn't get there how I expected to, I got there. Now, make do what it do now. So those are the lessons that I learned along with a lot of more. And so that's just my experience, Football yeah, for you, you could give a lot of good advice because almost didn't have a player drafted this <clears> year, <throat> which is just never what happens, and yet it happened this year. But a lot of undrafted free agents signed. Benito Jones signed with Miami. Uh, Josiah Coatney signed with Pittsburgh. What would you say to them as far as how they need to approach things? I would tell them, expect nothing. Be grateful that you're there. Don't worry about how you got there. Be grateful that you're there there are going to come times where you you feel like, am I doing enough? Just stay consistent. Don't let what's happening to you affect you. Meaning that keep a smile on your face, build relationships. That's the main thing. Build relationships, get to know your defensive back coach, get to know your head coach, because these people don't really know you how they know the other guys. They didn't really spend time with you. So always speak to them. Introduce yourself every day, even if you have to go up to his face, introduce yourself to these guys. Let them be comfortable knowing that they can come to you and get on to you. Also, knowing that they can count on you. 
you might not be as talented as the other guy, but you're always on time. You know your plays. The coach can count on you. Those are things that's going to separate them from the other guys and have him getting chances that he wouldn't normally get from being the undrafted guy. So that's it. I can't let you go without asking you about your favorite locker room story because I got a lot of them. I've heard about (laughs) Saran rapping Ted Laurent. I've heard about Shea almost crying because he didn't get number three. I've heard about Greg with his uh, ninja stars or leaving for a week to go to Disney World. I mean, I've got all these stories. What's your best locker room story? Man, my best locker room story. Man, it's so many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, it's so many. I would say my best locker room story would be, um, I would say when Mike had a little run-in with Coach Nutt, um, you know, we was pretty hard, very hard on each other in anything. I don't care if you make a C on a test. We're going to be hard on you about that. So everything you did, we kind of kept a close eye on it. So when Mike had to run in with Coach Nutt, he had a choice to pack his bags or stay. <laughs> and so before the meeting was even over with, me, Kendrick Lewis, we ran to Mike Locker and we packed his bags. <laughs> we, we had his bags already packed. We had a black, um, we had a black trash bag, and so that's probably one of my favorite stories. Yeah. Yeah, you Louisiana dudes, y'all are ruthless, man. <laughs> definitely, man. Definitely, man. We can pick at everything, though, man. When are we gonna get Coach Marche Green? Oh man, Coach Marche Green, man. Honestly, tell you, you had to step back and just kind of step away from the game a little bit. But now I feel like it's time. You know, I feel like it's time that I give back everything that I've learned and everything that I can help give kids in terms of knowledge, in terms of preparation, just in terms of just in, just in terms of inspiration, man. So, so probably in probably about a year, man, I would say. Man, the words that you're going to say to them to fire them up is just going to be priceless. It's going to be too good. It's too good. I, I know you too well, man. I, mean, I hope so, man. Yeah. Hearing you talk crap to those kids will be the best thing ever. I mean, look, I just want to be out there when it happens. He's Marche Green, former Ole Miss defensive back, all-time Ole Miss great. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you. We'll talk again. All right, Ben, man. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.